You're listening to an audio sermon from Redemption Church in Olds, Alberta. It is our prayer that through this ministry, we will see lost people saved, saved people matured, and mature people multiplied all to the glory of God. For more information about our church, or to let us know how we can be praying for you, visit us online at www.redemptionolds.com or send us an email at info at redemptionolds.com. to be back. Uh, I was technically back last week, but kind of out at camp is a little different. It's nice to be back here again, back to some normalcy. Um, thank you. It's fantastic to have a church that says, go, take some holidays, get some rest, be with your family. Um, we needed that and uh, was a great blessing to us. Um, I've heard only good things uh, of the, uh, the sermons that you had while I was away. Um, expect nothing less from the guys that you had uh, preaching here, but uh, good to hear that that was a blessing to you. Um, I want to start with this question. Um, what comes to your mind when, when you hear the question, who is the Lord? Who's the Lord? Go ahead, just take a few minutes. What, what comes immediately to mind? As A.W. Tozer wrote in his book, The The Knowledge of the Holy, um, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. So what comes into your mind? Who do you know the Lord to be? Now, as you think about that and, and answer that question and we begin to think about the answer that we've given, um, the first thing we, we want to know is, is my answer true or false? Is it correct, right? And, and that's, a, that's a good question to ask. That's something we, we, ought to, we ought to ask. That matters. Contrary to the way many people seem to think and talk today, um, it is possible to get that question wrong, right? God is actually an objective being uh, who... who who has characteristics that are unchanging. We don't just, just, just get to imagine him to be whoever we would like him to be. You can't do that with a person, right? You can't say, yeah, I know Arnold Penner. He's a big Stampeders fan. Um, if you know Arnold Penner, 95, 98% of his wardrobe is uh, rough, or, or Saskatchewan Rough Riders green. And, and he wore it again today. Uh, he's predictable. Thanks, Arnold. Um, if I say, I know Arnold, he's a big Stampeders fan, you're going to say, no, you're wrong. You can't, you can't just make Arnold into whoever you want him to be. How much more so with God? We don't get to just get to talk about, well, I like to think about God as, I don't care. Who is he? When you think about God, are you thinking about the one true God who is revealed to us in his word once for all? And yet, truth in and of itself isn't enough. Maybe some of you go, well, that makes me uncomfortable. Where are you going with that, John? It's not. There are different ways that you can know someone. It's possible to answer that question in a way that is truthful, that has all kinds of accuracy to it, that is filled up with true statements, but still insufficient, still not the way it ought to be answered. If you were to ask me the question, um, who is Bethany Anderson? Well, Let's phrase that wrong. Let's just ask the question in general. Who is Bethany Anderson? And, and you could get some good answers from a, from a CRA employee 
or our life insurance agent. They could give you all kinds of true information about her, her date of birth, her parents' names, her her height, weight, hair color, eye color, uh, all kinds of details, very accurate and true, maybe even some details that I don't know off the top of my head. In fact, they they could bring up all kinds of things, but, but then if you were to ask me the question, who is Bethany Anderson, I would give you a very different answer. I would tell you she's the love of my life. She's my wife of 18 years. The one who loves me like no one else, who smiles and lights up my day. The one who goofs off with me when I'm ridiculous. The one who encourages me when I'm down. The one who gives me wise counsel when I'm troubled. Who, who is my, my friend, my partner in life, my single greatest earthly blessing. That answer springs out from a, a very different kind of knowing. The insurance agent may know a lot of things about my wife, but she doesn't know my wife, not the way I do. So in our summer in the Psalms, we've, we've looked at Psalm 1 and, and then Psalms 3 and 4. And uh, today I want us to turn together to probably the best known Psalm, Psalm 23. Why don't you turn there with me? Um, get that open in front of you. Um, in Psalm 23, we see David's just rich and, and overflowing answer to the question, who is the Lord? And it's not the answer of a a disinterested ivory tower theologian. It's not just a download of facts. It's not the answer of someone who has dissected God like like a frog in a science classroom. It's the answer of someone who knows the Lord, truly, deeply knows him. There's a reason that Psalm 23 is probably the best known passage of the whole Old Testament. Up there in the the top 10 of most memorized verses in the Bible. And the reason is in in David's answer to that question, who is the Lord? David shows us that he knows the Lord. He has a relationship with the Lord in a way that all of our hearts long for. Even if we don't recognize it. A way that that resonates with our hearts. A way that, that calls to our hearts. We see this relationship that David has and we think, that's what I want. More of that. Because David knows the Lord the way we were created to know him. The way we were designed to know him. And in using David to write this psalm, um, the Lord is inviting each of us into that depth of relationship. That closeness with him. So we're going to look this morning at at Psalm 23, and we're just going to do verses 1 to 3 this morning, much like happened with Psalm 1. I set out ambitiously to preach all of Psalm 23, um, but it was turning into like a nine-point sermon. So I thought instead of having you guys bring a lunch, um, we would just we'd do it in two weeks. I hope that's okay with everyone. Um, so just verses 1 to 3 this morning. Let me read this psalm. We'll read it in its entirety, and then we'll work through it uh, little by little. Psalm 21, or 23, starting in verse 1. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Would you pray with me? 
Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that it is trustworthy and true that you have revealed yourself to us in, in clear black and white. God, what a precious gift that is. Thank you that more than just knowing about you, your word invites us to know you. God, I pray as we walk through the first portion of this psalm that our hearts would be awakened, enlivened to, to see you more for who you are, to worship you for who you are as our good shepherd. Uh, Lord, that we would truly know you the way that David does, that you would be honored and glorified in it. Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So David opens this psalm with those unforgettable words, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. This gets back to the theme of blessing that we opened with, the, the theme for our, our summer series. Um, that's, that's what the Psalms are all about, the blessing of the Lord. Those who trust in the Lord, those who uh, obey Him, those who walk with Him, those who love Him, they will be blessed. Those who know Him as their shepherd will have blessing. They will be happy, fulfilled. They will have joy. I shall not want is just another way of saying, I will be blessed. I will be filled up. Psalm 23 um, is just then unpacking that statement. What does it mean that I shall not want? It's, it's all of these things. It's the other five verses. But first we need to pause and understand that first phrase, the Lord is my shepherd. We, we can't move on until we've grasped that. Um, this is not really point one. Um, this is just all preamble. This is the foundational truth upon which every other point is built. And so if you're a note taker, just write down the foundation, know the shepherd. Know the shepherd. David writes, the Lord is my shepherd. And that is a shocking statement. We get so comfortable with these verses that we've heard a thousand times. We just stop and think about what that means. Notice the word Lord there, all capital letters. Um, that's significant. That, that's a translation device um, that is, is very common, one that I hope we'll grow out of. I hope in years to come we won't see that anymore. Um, but it's a long-standing tradition. Um, you'll see it in almost every translation. When you, when you see the word Lord in all capital letters, what's behind that in the Hebrew uh, is not the word for Lord. It's not Adonai. That's the Hebrew word that means Master, Lord. Um, what's behind that is the word Yahweh. The very name of God, the name that he gave to Moses at the, at the burning bush. It's the name that means I am that I am. And in one sense, it's not even really a name. It's a statement of, of God's ultimate existence. It's, it's God saying, this is who I am. And, and when it comes right down to it, I am so high and so lofty um, that, that I'm, I'm beyond your capability to understand. You can't know all of me. The best I can do is to tell you that I am what I am. I always have been and I always will be. And so it's this great title so filled with awe and wonder that the Jews refused to use it out of the fear of misusing it. And so that's where that translation tradition kind of started, um, not translating the word Yahweh, but inserting the word Lord instead. And so um, he takes this high and lofty name full of glory and wonder, and he says, it is the Lord, it is Yahweh who is my shepherd. God is 
creator, God is king, God is ruler of the cosmos. Those are all true and, and glorious and beautiful. But David knows the Lord in another way. He knows the Lord in a personal way as his shepherd. Shepherds were lowly and humble. Shepherds were small in their society. And, and though a shepherd did, in a sense, kind of rule over his sheep, not in the same way as a, as a king ruled over a nation. The care of the shepherd was personal. It was intimate. He basically lived with his sheep day in and day out. He, he knew them all by name. He cared for them specifically, individually. He knew them and they knew him. David is saying, who is the Lord? I know him. I know him and he knows me and he cares for me and walks with me. Now there's some interesting talk back and forth here as we read Psalm 23. David says, the Lord is my shepherd. Is that, is that talking about God the Father or is he looking forward kind of prophetically to, to Jesus? And on one hand, he uses the name Yahweh, um, which is typically used of, of God the Father, God the, the singular in the Old Testament, saying that the Lord is my shepherd. But, but God often promises the Old Testament that he would one day send one who would be a shepherd. The, the Messiah would be a shepherd. Just one example, uh, Micah 5. Um, we often read this at, at Christmas time. It's the promise that this baby boy would, would come. He'd be born in Bethlehem and he'd be a ruler over Israel. And, and just below that in verse 4, he says, uh, And he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord. When Jesus came, he clearly, consistently spoke of himself as the good shepherd. Come to rescue his sheep. Come to care for his flock. But, and so as, as what many See, as a debate, as so often is the case of these supposed debates in Scripture, there is no debate. The answer is the Trinity. The answer is there is one God in three persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. They're all God, and God is a shepherd. It's in his nature. It's, it's who he is to be, to be loving and caring and shepherding of his people. Isaiah 40, verse 11 says this of the Lord, he will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. That's who God is. The Lord is a tender, loving, caring shepherd. And the clearest, tangible, physical example we have of that is Jesus. Who, who came to be God as shepherd among us, rescuing, gathering, caring for his flock. It's God made visible as the good shepherd. So as David wrote Psalm 23 with the Holy Spirit inspiring him and working through him, he's, he's speaking about the, the character of God as a good shepherd in a way that, that we would come to know most fully and completely in the coming of Jesus. Jesus is the good shepherd because God is a good shepherd. The person of Jesus making visible and tangible the character of God. But, but notice it's, it's intentional, it's significant. David doesn't just say God is a good shepherd. He says the Lord is my shepherd. That's the most important question that this text begs of us the question is not, is God a shepherd? God is a shepherd. Whether you know it or recognize it or not, it's true. The question is, is he your shepherd? 
Can you say with David in this intimate, personal way, I know him. The Lord is my shepherd. That's my relationship with God. Do you know this to be true? Not not in a way that a, a history student knows the facts about Abraham Lincoln or Winston Churchill, but but in a way that a husband knows his wife or a man knows his brother or a sheep knows his shepherd. I can't go any further without stopping to acknowledge the fact that it is entirely possible, uh, even very likely, that there are people here today who know God is a shepherd but don't know him truly as my shepherd. Don't be content with, with secondhand knowledge of God. Don't, don't, don't settle for, for knowing about God in a technical sense, calling yourself a Christian, going to church, knowing all the right answers. Um, none of those things can ever be substitutes for actually knowing God. And in fact, there are many who know so many great and high and lofty truths who can debate for hours about who God is, who will be shamed before the throne of God beside the most simple, humble small understanding of who God is, but a deep love for him and walk with him. Some of you maybe have grown up in the church. Your parents have taught you all the right truths about God. You went to Sunday school. You memorized all the right Bible verses. That's great. That's an amazing gift and a blessing. But you need to understand it's, it's meaningless Unless by those things you come to truly personally know him. The Lord is not just a shepherd. Um, is he your shepherd? Or maybe you've come to church later in life. Seemed like the right thing to do. It's good to have your kids growing up in the church. It's nice to have a good kind of moral, social network. And, and that's all fine and dandy. But do you know the Lord as your shepherd? Do you know him in that firsthand personal way? Do you know him in Jesus as the one who has rescued you from your sin, who has pulled you out of darkness into his marvelous light as the shepherd of your soul? So that's the question we have to just start with. I want just lingering a little bit in the back of your mind. Maybe you can answer that quickly one way or another. Maybe it's something you need to wrestle with a little bit. For some, that experience is just going to ring true. As we read these passages, your heart comes alive. I know that. I know what David's talking about. I've I've tasted that. You rejoice in that. And so as we walk through this psalm, we just get to worship our God. We just get to be uh, blessed again as we revel in these truths of who he is. But maybe for a few here this morning, you, you come to realize, I've never known God in that way. I've never had that relationship. Not really. I pray that if that's the case, that would change this morning. You would move today from from knowing the facts about him as shepherd to truly knowing the love of the shepherd. So with that in mind, let's let's dive in and see what uh, it means for David that the Lord is his shepherd. So at long last, this is point one. Um, My shepherd feeds me. My shepherd feeds me. Verse two, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. As my good shepherd. He he does what any good shepherd does. He feeds my soul. He nourishes me. He brings me to food that's that's rich and and satisfying and life-giving. What is this pasture? What is this food that he's talking about? It's God's word. It's the Bible. 
That's our, our spiritual food. That's our, our sustenance. Deuteronomy 8.3, a verse that Jesus would quote when he was in the wilderness. Um, originally, it was Moses speaking to the people of Israel, helping them remember what God had taught them in their wandering through the wilderness. And he says this, He humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you didn't know, nor did your fathers know, so that... He might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. God shepherded his people into the wilderness, into a dry and weary place. He let them hunger so that he could show them you don't just live on physical food. You need more than that. That's not all you need. True life, true nourishment of your soul is in every word that comes out of the mouth of God. My shepherd feeds me. He feeds me with this rich, life-giving food of his word. Remember Psalm 1. Blessed, joyful, happy, fulfilled is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but he delights in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He's nourished, he's filled up, he's strengthened. And then he becomes like the tree that is planted by streams of water. Do you, do you live on bread alone? How many days of the week do you go get by on bread alone and not by the word of God? Do you often come to those green pastures of his truth. That's his provision for our spiritual life. That is his rich and gracious gift to us that we might have life and vitality and strength and growth. David rejoices in the goodness of this shepherd. He so richly provides food for his soul. Do do you know Christ that way? Do you know him as the one who who brings you to the, the green pastures of his word? My shepherd feeds me. Secondly, My shepherd gives me rest. That's the second half of verse two there. He makes me, I'm sorry, he leads me beside still waters. What a picture of peace, of quiet, rest. You'll notice these aren't truly separated. David is not giving us a a list of point form things. He's using this metaphor and there's a, a number of things that we could draw from it. The imagery of the pasture is filled with green food and it it bleeds right into this picture of the the still waters. Provision of rest starts up in the green pastures. He he makes me lie down in green pastures. We are so hurried and distracted and troubled. We we live in the midst of this world of of chaos and and pain and suffering. There's so much to be worried about, so much that, that causes us turmoil. But the good shepherd, our good shepherd, brings us to this peaceful meadow. Not, not crashing, rushing, noisy water, but, but pools of still water. It's calm. It's rest. It's peace. Remember back in Psalm 4, so many ways this world had been just tearing David apart at the seams. His family is in shambles. His kingdom is threatened. His own son is set out to kill him. And and after praying to the Lord in Psalm 3, and then Psalm 4 is this hymn. He's reminding himself of the the character of God. In verse 8, then he says, In peace I will both lie down and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. I have rest. 
Regardless of everything else going out there, God, in you, I will sleep in peace. It's Philippians 4, 6 and 7. Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God that surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. To have the the Lord as your shepherd means to trust him. To have the the almighty and all-knowing God as the one who is watching over your life. Like a shepherd takes responsibility over his sheep. What does the sheep have to worry about? In the midst of the chaos around me, I have rest. I have comfort in him. My shepherd feeds me. My shepherd gives me rest. And then my shepherd restores me. Verse 3. He restores my soul. To restore something is to, is to bring it back to its rightful place or to its rightful state of being. He restores my soul. First, I think this speaks of how the Lord as our shepherd restores us to himself, brings us back to relationship with him. Uh, there's one thing that sheep do. Uh, it is to wander. I'm sorry, but sheep are stupid. They, they walk away from the green grass. They walk away from the care of the shepherd. They, they walk away from the place of, of safety and, and protection and life. And that's us. Isaiah 53, verse 6. Isaiah used the same imagery. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. Off we go. God says, here's my perfect garden and relationship with me and safety with me and fulfillment with me and Adam says I think I'm going to try over there and we're still living in the ramifications of that and every one of us grows up in that we sin we turn our backs on God we go our own way we do the things that he said not to do we wander off to our own demise the wages of sin is Death, our rebellion against God, our descent into sin, uh, deserves nothing less than the wrath of God in hell. That's what we deserve, but praise God, he is the kind of shepherd who restores souls. Listen to Jesus speaking of himself as the shepherd. Matthew 18, he says, what do you think? If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them goes astray, Does he not leave the 99 on the mountain and go and search out the one that went astray? And if he finds it truly, I say to you, he rejoices over it more than over the 99 that never went astray. So it is not the will of the Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. We had all wandered away. We had all strayed off to our own peril. We had gone down the path of sin and death. And Jesus is the kind of shepherd who comes seeking after, who restores those who are lost. That's what the cross is all about. Jesus taking on the penalty of our sin. That's the the complete verse from Isaiah. Isaiah 53.6 says, All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him. That's Jesus, the iniquity of us all. That's how he rescues, how he restores his lost sheep, even the most far off, even the most desperately lost, the most sinful, rebellious soul can be restored and forgiven, washed, clean, rescued. We are brought back into the loving arms 
of the good shepherd. Do you know God is the one who restores your soul? Who brought you back into that place of safety, of peace with him, a place of forgiveness and and reconciliation. If you don't know him in that way, this is your invitation. Maybe you've been in and around church for years. You've heard these truths a thousand times, but you've never humbled yourself and confessed your sin and admitted your need to be rescued, your need to be restored. Or maybe this is new and you can, you can just see your sin and your need to be forgiven, to be restored. Romans 10, 9 promises. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart that God raised from the dead, you'll be saved. First John 1, 9. If you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He's the God who restores. He's the God who who brings us back to himself. Trust him. But for those of us who have walked with him for years now, we know there is that grand sense in which he restores us to himself out of our sin. He makes us new. He forgives us. He saves us. But, But there's also an ongoing sense, isn't there? We still wrestle with sin. We're still tempted and and often fail. We still have seasons of frustration and despair and doubt or spiritual depression. But he's still the good shepherd who restores, who calls us back from our sinful behavior or from our doubt or from our wandering who having once restored us from being utterly lost, will continue to restore and keep and shepherd us and remind us of his grace and his forgiveness to bring us back again to that place of joy and life in him. Just to be honest, that's what I needed this week. I don't know why. There's no evident, unrepentant sin that that I'm aware of, not not that I was doubting the Lord or fighting against him. It was just a dry week. It's just been a season of feeling disconnected. What a gift it was to have this passage put in front of me over and over and over again to be reminded he's the God who restores. This is who my shepherd is. Am I feeling it right now? No, but I know it's true. So blessed with that quote from Josh this morning. That's exactly where I am. I'm I'm worshiping the Lord, not out of a sense of, oh, this feels so great. I feel your presence, but God, I know you're what I need. I'm not feeling it right now, but I know you're my shepherd. And I can do that with confidence and hope because I know he's the God who restores. So I don't know why he's leading me through this this season of just dryness right now, but I know he is the God who restores. He is my good shepherd, and so we trust in him. He is my shepherd who feeds me, my shepherd who gives me rest, my shepherd who restores me. And finally, he is my shepherd who leads me. Verse 3, he restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Paths of righteousness there could, could just as well be translated the right paths. And, and I think David is kind of using that double meaning on purpose. Um, the imagery of a shepherd is that he leads his sheep through the, the hills and valleys, um, always finding the right paths. Not always the smoothest path, not always the most direct path, not the path that the sheep expect to take every time, but it's the right path. It's the path toward those green pastures and still waters. And those right paths for the people of God are the paths of righteousness, of 
holiness, of obedience. Romans 6, Paul is unpacking the the truths of our salvation. Chapter 5 ends with these glorious statements of God's immense grace that just covers all who come to him and and what it means to be forgiven by grace. And then uh, chapter 6 begins with this rhetorical question. Paul says, well, what shall we say then? Or do we continue to sin so that grace may abound? If God's grace is so free and generous and God is glorified and showing grace to the sinner, should we keep sinning so that God's glorified more as he shows more grace? Paul says, uh, no. No, strongest possible language. By no means. How can we who died to sin continue and live in it? That's what we've been rescued out from. We, we don't keep going down that path. To be saved from sin is is not only to be saved from the penalty of sin, it's to be saved from the power of sin over us in our day-to-day lives. Now, that's not instant. Not for me. Maybe you could claim it was for you, but we'll ask your spouse. Uh, um, It's a process, right? It happens over time as the good shepherd leads us into paths of righteousness. But if you're following this good shepherd, you're saying, I'm following after Jesus. Well, okay, where is he leading? Paths of righteousness. And so to say, I'm following after Jesus as I walk willfully into unrighteousness, only one of those statements is true. And one of them can be pretty visibly obvious. 1 John 2.3 uses this as kind of foundational evidence. This is one who has come to know God. By this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar. The truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. That's just evidence of a true sheep. Again, not perfect. Oh, Believers go through times of sin and struggle and backsliding, but over time, the course of their life is defined by by moving into these paths of righteousness. And and for for the true sheep of the good shepherd, this is a statement of joy. He's leading me out of my sin into holiness. I've heard it said this way, um, Christians sin as much as they want. What? Yeah. Now, Christians sin as much as they want. In fact, they sin far more than they want. Because my heart's no longer running after that. I continue to sin and I wish I didn't. And I'm so thankful that he is the good shepherd who will lead me into righteousness because that's where I want to go because that's where he is. My good shepherd leads me in paths of righteousness. He's working holiness in me uh, day at a time. My life is defined by that little by little process, two steps forward and sometimes one step back into righteousness. Do you know God this way? That's our good shepherd. What a glorious thing. If you're his his sheep, this is what he is to you. He is my shepherd who, who feeds me, who gives me rest, who restores me, who leads me in righteousness. Sheep, rejoice in that good shepherd. Find our our life and and our joy in him. Rejoice and take comfort that the almighty creator of the universe 
is the one who will feed and rest and restore and lead you. And if you have to admit this morning that you've not known him that way, that your knowledge of God has always been arm's length and, and kind of informational and secondhand, man, let today be the day that that changes. Go home and fall on your knees before him. Admit your need for him. Turn from your sin. Ask forgiveness. Let him be your good shepherd. Follow after him. And then we just get to revel in the beauty, the joy of what it is to know him uh, as this good shepherd. Would you pray with me? Father, God, we are so humbled and in awe of your grace. Lord, we who have sinned, who have turned our backs on you, who deserve your wrath, and yet you invite us in. You present yourself as a good shepherd who comes seeking after those lost sheep, who comes with forgiveness and life and leads us, rests us, who is our provider, our keeper, our caretaker. God, I pray for those um, who have only known you from a distance this morning, God, that they would press in hard, that they would come to know you that their hearts would be brought to the place of, of brokenness and trust and repentance and hope. And Lord, for those of us who have walked with you, some maybe uh, only a short while, some maybe years and years, God, may we know you more today as the good shepherd. May we revel in who you are, rejoice in who you are, and worship you. God, may you keep us close because we're sheep. We need a good shepherd. We need you to feed us, to give us rest when we're weary, to restore our souls, to lead us in the paths of righteousness. For your namesake, would you do it, Father? We pray in Jesus' name.